Hello, and welcome to Local Legacies, the show where we go behind the scenes with enterprising individuals who are striving for the best in their business, family, community, and themselves. I'm your host, Tim Lanza, and without further ado, here's this week's guest. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today in the studio, I have Joshua Page with me. I'm very excited to speak with you. We had chatted a little bit on the phone and pretty much hit it off right away. I uh, talented man. you got a lot going on and you've done a lot both in your businesses and for the community. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started and what you've got going on now. Sure. Thank you for having me. So it was Friday night. My mom was dropping me off for football practice. Uh, my dad was picking me up because it was his weekend and mom barely made it out of the parking lot on her way to the hospital because she was so nauseous. She's been sick all week long. Uh, she was admitted overnight and my dad got the phone call the next morning uh, and he said, we'll be right there. So my dad rushed me to the hospital and it was in that waiting room with the rest of my family, my aunts, uncles, grandparents, that I found out that my mom had a cancerous brain tumor. She was immediately put into surgery and she recovered in the ICU. And I can still remember the nurse bring me down the hallway to see mom, and I can hear the shuffling of the nurses and doctors' feet and the beeping of the machines. And there's mom in the distance on the hospital bed with a big bandage wrapped around her head and wires all over her. And I don't know if it was the smell of the hospital or the look of mom on that hospital bed, but I was, I was just sick to my stomach. And we would spend the next six months to a year going back and forth at our hospital for radiation and chemotherapy treatment. And in our, in our house, we had a couch on the back wall in our living room. And towards the front of the house was a window. And that was mom's perch. She would just sit there and she would watch me and my friends play football. Uh, she'd watch the cars go by, people walking their dogs. And eventually that couch was replaced with a hospital bed. It was that same hospital bed that I saw mom in, in the ICU that time. Eventually mom got so sick that my family told her that she could no longer care for me and that my father was to get full custody. And it was early morning, February 2nd. I was sleeping on the top bunk of my half-brother's bed and he loved Barney. So he had he had Barney curtains and Barney sheets and pillowcases. And my dad, all six foot two of them, came into that room, shook me awake and said, Josh, your mom died this morning. I was 13 years old. And I just lost my best friend, my mom, to cancer. I was living in a house that I only visited every other week uh, with a stepmother that I never get along with. And after a few months, I decided I just couldn't take it anymore and I was going to run away. So at that time, my bedroom was in the basement. And during the day, I put my mountain bike on the side of the garage. And about 1130 that night, I got out of bed. I snuck out the basement door. I grabbed my mountain bike and I brought it over to the chain link fence. <clears throat> and I threw the bike over the chain link fence climbed up and over as I did a hundred times before and I rode that bike as fast as I could to my girlfriend's house about 20 minutes away. It was pitch dark. I was scared. At that time I didn't know if the cops were going to come get me, if some bad guy was going to get me in the middle of the night. By the time I got to my girlfriend's house she lived on the second floor and her window was on the left side of the house and I reached down and grabbed some pebbles <clears throat> and I threw them up at her window. And all of a sudden I saw her bedroom light go on and then the front porch light go on and then the front door opened and out stepped her mother. And I was like, busted. <laughs> so I told her, do not call my dad. I'm not going back there. Call my aunt. She'll come pick me up. So my aunt came and picked me up. She brought me to school the next morning. And then unfortunately I had to go back and live with my dad that day, that night. Now in all of this, I was a C and D student. I didn't like school. I knew I wasn't going to go to college. 
And I found out about this trade school that you only had to go to school two weeks out of the month and the other two weeks were trade. And I was like, sign me up. That's, that's where I want to go to school. And growing up, I always liked the animatronics and the makeup in the movies. So I'm like, I'm going to go to school to go into cosmetology. Well, I soon found out what cosmetology really meant, and I couldn't picture myself doing French tips, French braids, and manicures for the rest of my life. So I said, no, I can't go into that trade. I failed out of plumbing, and I had a few friends that were in electrical. So I said, you know what? I'll go into electrical. High school was not easy. I was suspended uh, three out of my four years in high school. I had summer school for electrical related. And junior year, I ran away again. Uh, This time I had a car instead of a mountain bike and I just never went home. I ended up living with my aunt for the rest of my high school uh, career. And it wasn't until senior year that I really smartened up and said, I have to change. I have to figure something out. I, my mom has passed away. I don't talk to my dad. I live in the breezeway of my aunt's house, forever grateful and thankful for it, but I really need to figure myself out. So I, sm- I smartened up. I got good grades. I graduated from that school and I went to become an electrician. And I really think the trades saved my life because when I started building and doing stuff in the electrical field, there was a sense of pride and accomplishment by, by building, you know, putting stuff together, wiring buildings. And I could see the lights turn on or the outlets work. And, and I was part of that. I could drive by buildings that I worked on or school buildings because I worked for a large electrical company. I could drive by those buildings and say, I wired that. I was a part of this. Uh, there was a lot of employees, so I was a part of a big team. And I really think that's, that's what made the big difference to me um, by joining the trades and becoming an electrician. And I don't think if I went to that trade school, I, I don't think I'd be the person I am today. So it sounds like you you know, you, your senior year, you flipped that switch. Obviously you weren't a dumb kid or, you, you know, you weren't, you had the, the ability to get good grades if you applied yourself. Um, if you consider C's and D's good grades, then, then yes, I did. <laughs> At least you get, you got by, you know, you got to where you wanted to be or needed yes, to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. When I was in high school, I thought, you know, I grew up building cars with my dad doing stuff and I thought I wanted to be an engineer because of that. And so I took some like pre-engineering classes and it's like you sit down at the computer and you design this thing on the computer. And it's like, no, 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 this isn't what I want to do. I want to just actually build something. And they're like, oh, that's not engineering. Engineering is you design it and draw it out and then someone else builds it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, this isn't, you don't get that same satisfaction of like creating something with your hands. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I spent eight years at that company. I I achieved my journeyman's license, my master's license, and I was doing really well. Uh, I had, uh, I I got married to my girlfriend that I was with her since I was 19 years old. So we we became husband and wife. I had a son and I wanted to do something different. Um, I want, number one, I wanted to be there for my son. I wanted to be able to be there as much as possible. I wanted to coach his sports eventually when he got older. I wanted to be there when he got off the bus. I just, I wanted to be a huge part of his life. At that time, it was just me and my wife and him. And when I was taking my master electrician's course, the teacher talked about niche business and to niche things down. And he wanted us to look into the phone book and, and look up electricians in the phone book. And he said, every one of those electricians in your phone book is your competition. And at that time, there was about 30 or 40 entries of electrician. He said, if you really want to niche something, look into infrared. So I looked into infrared and infrared testing. And all in one year of getting my master electrician's license, becoming married, I also started a business called Infrared High Tech Solutions. I bought an infrared thermal imaging camera. And I started scanning electrical panels, flat roofs. I was trained in equine thermography. So I actually flew out to New Mexico and, and was trained 
to do in, uh, infrared thermography on horses, saddle fittings and hoof and balance. I did a lot of uh, energy audits on houses for water intrusion, for air infiltration. And that lasted about two years. And then I, I really just got bored of it. But at the same time, I was still working with the electrical company. And then I decided, you know what? I'm going to go out on my own. So I, I quit the big electrical company. I was still doing infrared. The uh, housing crisis started around, you know, that was around 2010, 2011. Uh, I got bored of the infrared. I, I don't know how, but I ended up doing foreclosures in 2010. I did over 250 foreclosures for about six months. It was me to start, and then I hired another guy. We would legally get paid to break into the house, change the doorknobs, change the door locks, plywood up the windows, take out the trash. We had a Home Depot shop vac that we would suck up six-month-old diarrhea out of the toilets. I mean, you name it, we did it. And then I woke up one morning and I said, I'm a master electrician. What am I doing? And that was right around the same time the Nor'easter happened, Halloween Nor'easter in 2011. Lost power, central mass. Everyone was calling me for generators and to put power back to their houses. So I said, that's it. I'm going and starting my own electrical business. I'm going to become an electrical contractor. And that's what I did. So in 2011, I started JP Electric and Son. In 2015, after building it up, I purchased Rural Electric. And then in 2017, I purchased Patriot Electrical Contracting and Service out of Concord. And here we are in 2022. We've, we have about 16, 17 employees. We have tens of thousands of customers throughout all of Massachusetts. And I get to do fun things like this and, and be on podcasts and, and talking about, you know, getting kids involved with the trades and, and just doing absolutely everything that I've, I'm, I'm meant to do. This, this is exactly where I should be in life right now. Isn't it amazing once you kind of start, the pieces start to fall in place and you really hit your stride and you, yeah. you really have that overwhelming feeling of you're on the right path. Absolutely. And it's been a wild ride and I wouldn't change any of my failures uh, for anything in life because um, I've actually, th there's a, a quote in uh, Sentinel Enterprise a few years ago that asked me about it and, and I said, failure has always been my biggest lessons learned because when you lose a thousand dollars, you'll never make that same mistake again. <laughs> you know, and it goes, it goes true for everything. Absolutely. And I mean, I have the same experience in my own business and not coming from, you know, learning the trades in school, kind of learning on the fly. It's, you make a lot of mistakes. Oh yeah. And just in, not just in my situation, everyone, everyone yeah. makes a lot of mistakes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the, it's our biggest lessons, I think, in life, you know, and ones that do cost money at times and ones that, you know, don't. But I think the ones that, that do hurt your, hurt your pocketbook, uh, those are the ones that stick with you. Absolutely. They burn. <laughs> now, when you first went on your own, as far as like JP Electric, what was your, were you niche down there or were you doing a little bit of everything? So JP Electric was, was doing residential, commercial, industrial, which is, I think, pretty standard for any electrical company. That's where they all get started. Um, we, we do a lot of generators, um, but even right now, we're still, you know, a lot of residential, a lot of commercial, not so much a, a ton of industrial. But um, at that time, I mean, I, I was looking for anything. You know, I mean, just building the business, you, you've got to hustle, you know, making phone calls, emails. I was I was doing any bit of work that I could um, to build up the business. You know, there wasn't a, it wasn't as niche down as the infrared because that was very specific and it wasn't as niche down as as, you know, the foreclosures. But it was just it was more of where I needed to be at that time and, and still do. It's just the electrical industry is so large. You can do a million things. But um, for me, then and really now, um, it's really about the customers. You know, our, our mission statement, and not to talk about the business, but our mission statement is provide our customers with the best electrical experience possible. And to me, at the end, I always tell our electricians, it's not me that's, that's writing your paycheck. It's the customers. Those are the ones that we have to support and service every single day and put everything we have into their home or business. And that's how we get paid. 
You know, it's not just me writing out your paycheck. It's it's Mrs. Smith that you installed a, a pool for down the street or, you know, the facility manager at, at the local hotel or whatever it is. Those are the ones that you need to make happy every single day. And we talk a lot about this on the show, or I have talked a lot about this on the show, but it's not how you make money in that transaction, but that's how you make money in the next 10 transactions because that person turns, and when someone says, oh, I need some electrical work done, you need to use these guys. They were amazing. Every part of the process, they made it so easy for me. And then your business is growing. Your biggest cheerleaders or your biggest spokespeople are the customers that you've done such a good job for. Absolutely. I, I've said it from the beginning. Um, I care about relationships, not transactions. Because at the end of our day, when we take that last breath and and we're laying down in that casket or whatever you are, and people are attending your funeral, I would rather have a room full of family, friends, clients, customers, all in that room versus you know, buckets full of cash. That does nothing for me. You know, that does not fill me up. Transactions are, are useless. And I, and I tell everyone that. I want the relationship. I care about the relationship. I want to know your home or business better than you do because I want to be part of the team. I want, as, as human beings, we are emotional, social creatures. We thrive on that. So there is a lot of people that only care about their transaction, but that's just not me. That's not us. That's not our business. That's not what I teach my kids. It, it's all based on relationships, everything in life. And now as you started to grow with JP initially, what, what did that look like? As far as we'll say on a, in the sense of employees, how big did you get before then you were to acquire the next business? So back then, we, we actually grew pretty quick. I think we were probably eight to 10 guys at that point. Uh, we had one um, secretary slash office manager. And I wasn't, <clears throat> I wasn't even looking to purchase a business. I mean, I, I, I'm telling you, I was not the smartest kid. Like, I, I had no money. I, you know, everything was built off of, you know, learning in the streets. And it was a supply house that called me and said, hey, um, Rural Electric's for sale. You should, you should talk to them. And I was like, ah, man, I, like, I don't even know what to do. I said, okay, I'll call him. So I called him, never met him before in my life. And he immediately shut me down. He said, no, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm already in talks with the general contractor. He's purchasing the business. Now, Rural Electric has been in business since 1954 uh, when it was originally started by Roland Rule. And now I'm the fourth owner. And I, and I hung the phone up. I said, okay, no problem. I think that was on a Friday. And I'm not one to push the universe. Everything, I believe strongly in everything happens for a reason. I never push the universe. But over the weekend, something, something was speaking to me inside and said, you know what, Josh, make another phone call on Monday. Just, just ask him again. So I gave him another call on Monday. He said, actually, I'm glad you called. The general contractor um, canceled out. He doesn't want to do the deal. Let's sit down and talk. So we met at Dunkin' Donuts on River Street in Fitchburg. Three hours later, he said, you know what? I want you to meet my wife next week, and uh, let me show you a, a tour of our shop and facility. Okay. Next week, I went in there, met with him and his wife. Two and a half hours later, we were, you know, moving the deal forward. A couple months of paperwork, and September of 2015, I became the new owner of Rural Electric, which was Nothing that was ever in my cards, ever. I never thought I would do that. I mean, one business was enough, and now we've got two. I mean, it's just incredible, incredible. It's funny how you say you, you don't want to push the universe, but it's also kind of like, well, the something was pushing you. Yeah. You know, the universe yeah. kind of pushed you to make that other phone call, and you obviously felt compelled to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. And then and then the same thing happened in 2017. It, I was literally sitting at my desk, and we got a phone call, and he said, I, I know you're young, you're an entrepreneur, you're purchasing up businesses, um, would you like to buy mine? It's out in Concord. And I said, absolutely not. I've got two. I, I, can't, I can't handle anymore. That I can't do it. And um, I think I gave it about two weeks. And again, it was the universe. Just I was like, "There's something there." I, you know, I I just have to go after it. So, for whatever reason, we met at Dunkin' Donuts again, but it was in it was in Acton this time. Again, same thing. About two three hours later, and um, he wasn't married, so I didn't have to meet with his wife. But we we made a deal. We had a couple more meetings, a few months of paperwork, and 
um, I think it was October, I think it was October, November of 2017, I purchased Patriot Electrical Contracting Service out of Concord, which has uh, been there for 37 years. Um, so incredible group of electricians, clients, um, just, I'm just so thankful and blessed um, on both of those transactions, the way that they worked out. Now, what does that look like as far as, so obviously, based on the way you're talking about it, they retained their name, and I'm assuming somewhat their identity. Mm -hmm. When you come into that situation, I'm assuming you're bringing some sort of management style or you're making changes. How does that kind of acquiesce to make it all work? Yeah, so I'm stubborn, right? So I don't want to lose a JP Electric name because that's the name that I started with. Rural Electric now has... Um, history since 1954 so they've got over 60 years of history in our area and then patriot has over 30 years of history in concord so i was like i'm just gonna operate all three names just completely separate so we have three van colors three websites three phone numbers three facebook pages three instagrams everything is by three uh we have one f you know each person in our office has one phone, but there's three phone lines coming in. So you're either answering Patriot, Rule, or JP. And, you know, three business cards, three shirts. I mean, it, it works. It's a, it's a lot of work. Maybe one day they'll all can be combined into one, but I didn't want to lose the history. People have known the brand. They've known the name, the phone numbers, all that. And that was just very, very important to me to not lose any of that. Um, and even in the last three years, the company itself, the way we run it has completely changed. We've updated and, and gone to better software. We have dispatch notifications. All of our guys are run on iPads. It's completely different. And we have lost some clients because of that, because they, they liked the small town touch that Patriot Electric had, where it was the owner that would go to every single job. And there was only two electricians. And, you know, they, they like that, but we've gained so many new customers who have turned into clients, who turned into fans um, because of the way that we're operating it. So I've changed the way we've that those companies have always operated, but it's been in a good way, and we've lost some but gained twice as many more. Right, and well, you're in your position, you have to change. You can't run three businesses just the way you were running one, yeah. otherwise you if at the very least you'd be pulling your hair out every single day you know at the worst you'd be going under absolutely absolutely so i mean we we made changes we saved some money we spent some money um, at the end of the day it's everything i do is is in the service of others and i tell all my staff that my management staff is what can we do to better serve someone else and if we run the business that way i don't see how we can ever go wrong you know, I've been thinking about this a lot with my own business, but it's like, you know, you fix cars or you, you know, do electrical work, but you know, what you really sell is like trust with the customer. It's that they, they trust that when they call you and you show up, whatever it is that you do or whatever you get done, they know you're the best person for the job and that it is exactly what you say it's going to be. It's tough in our industry. I'd say in the automotive industry, in the in the um, construction, electrical, carpentry, plumbing specifically, we have a major trust issue, and that's because I think there's so many, um, you know, some will call them trunk slammers or man in a vans that are just looking to make a quick dollar on you know nights and weekends, and I think there's so many times that that homeowners have been burned by those people that they put a bad rep on us honest contractors and honest business owners. So it's it's tough because they're so used to people not answering their phone or not emailing them back or not showing up when they're supposed to or not cleaning up. So we have to we have to do that much better of a job as an industry to change the outlook on the way people think and look about contractors.
because we we have that tarnished image that we're going to show up dirty or do we even show up at all or do we clean and it's like that's not the case anymore this is a whole new generation of of tradespeople not just tradesmen tradespeople there's a lot of female um, in the trades as well and it's a whole new generation and we need to rebuild that trust in this industry because it is a big issue and I find as well, you know, you notice with, say, my generation versus my father's generation and even more so probably his father is there's a greater and greater separation between the trades and, say, everyone else. And obviously, and we can kind of get into this a little bit, but when you drive all these kids to go to college, then, you know, you go to whatever degree you get and then you graduate a kid that doesn't know how to change a light bulb or doesn't know how to do all these things. So they're really putting it in your hands that when you show up and do something, you say, I did this. It's like, okay, I don't know whether you did that or not, mm, but mm. you know, building that trust and how, I guess, to tie into where I was going with this was like, how do we get, I know you've been very focused on more people back into the trades and, and kind of changing that direction of younger kids, getting them interested and looking at it as more of a positive thing versus where the dumb kids go. Mm, mm. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I do a lot of speaking on getting kids involved with the trades. Um, I actually wrote a children's book called What Does Your Daddy Do? It will be coming out probably June, July. And that was based on my years of going to career days for high schools and thinking, this is great. I'm glad I'm here. The kids are getting something out of it. But I'm, I think I'm missing the mark a little bit. And I wanted to gear it towards fourth to sixth grade and just plant the seed in the younger mind about all the cool things that an electrician does, a plumber does, a carpenter does, you know, all the cool things. And I think... I think another part of our issue is we need to get to the parents because when the parents get educated about what the trades are about, the money that you can make, the, the purpose and the passion and the drive that you can have, I think we're going to see a change in this generation. I think you will see it because it's, it's almost passed down. Like if, if that parent, if, if the, if the parent's parent, right, the, the grandparent, if, if they talked down to them and said, you know, you're never going to amount to anything unless you went to college or if you go to college or you, you need to get a four-year degree because you need to be smart and educated. It's the only way you're going to get through life. If that's how they were treated, then they're going to do the same thing to their kids. Then when those kids grow up to be parents, they do the same thing to those kids. And that's just not the case anymore. And, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that, this up because it, it's a major issue. And I do think educating the parents, it needs to start there to let them know that, number one, if we think over the last two years when the pandemic started and everyone stopped working and everyone went home, you couldn't go to work anymore, you couldn't do this, couldn't do that, who were the ones working I know my phone didn't stop ringing. Neither did the plumbers or the carpenters or roofers or anyone else. I, I don't know how your business was over we the last two for years. for sure grew over the last two years, very much so. Absolutely. And and I've asked a lot of people, uh, even even real estate right now, where, where is all this cash coming from, right? So for the last two years, you've stayed home. You didn't have to fuel up your vehicle to get somewhere. You didn't have to sit in traffic. And... So you're saving a ton of money there. Uh, you didn't go on vacation, so you're saving even more money there. And you're spending so much time in your house, and you're like, man, I really want this faucet to work this time. Or, wow, I should really do my kitchen over. Or, hey, that car's been sitting in my garage. Maybe I should get it fixed now. So they have all this money and all this time. So who are the ones that are working? It's all the tradespeople. So no matter if it's the biggest global pandemic that we've seen since the Spanish flu, who's working? It's the tradespeople. This stuff doesn't stop. Your your roof doesn't stop leaking just because the, there's a global pandemic happening. Your your electricity still needs to work in your home, even even more so when you need to work from home and now make money from home. You need to make sure your Wi-Fi connection was good, that you had outlets installed in, into one of your bedrooms that now became your makeshift home office. All of those things. And, um, you know... <sighs> It's, 
in the trades, when you become, when you want to be an apprentice, most of the time in the trades, that company is going to pay for your education, right? There, as long for for me specifically, I'll speak that way. If you maintain a, a seventy or above average, you pay for the class. At the end of the year, I reimburse you. A lot of companies do the same thing. They'll pay for the books. They'll pay for the schooling. So not only are you learning how to become an electrician or plumber, you are also earning at the same time because you are working and. Um, getting paid and you're learning. You're going to an apprenticeship school to do all of that. College is not. You know, the, the national debt right now for, for student loan debt is over $1.3 trillion as of November of 2021. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but do you know how many seconds ago a million seconds was? I do not. So a million seconds ago was 12 days ago. Okay. One billion seconds. How long ago do you think that was? Five years. 37 years ago. Wow. Do you know how long one trillion seconds ago was? Over 37,000 years ago. That's how big a trillion is. So think about that in terms of student loan debt. That's a tr over a trillion dollars in student loan debt to go to college that half of these kids graduate from college and they still don't know what they even want to do. Some of them don't even go into what they graduated from. Now, I'm not saying college isn't needed because it is. We need lawyers. We need accountants. We need doctors and nurses, like all of that stuff. You, you need it 100%. But college is not the only option. For me, it was never an option. I was never going to fit that mold. I was a C&D student. I didn't like school. I knew I didn't want to go to college. So the trades worked for me. And that's what I think the parents need to understand, that if their kid is not going to fit the mold of college, that's okay. You, they do have the trades. They have military. They have whatever you want, but just... You need to, they need to know that the trades is another option on the table. I remember a, a friend of mine when, you know, we, it was like my freshman year of college or whatever, and we were talking about another friend and, you know, the mom said, oh, oh, they're, what are they doing, like carpentry or something? And my friend said, yeah, mom, they're making money instead of just spending it. And you talk about that debt, that trillion number, that student loan debt. Say you graduate with $100,000 from a four-year with a four-year degree, $100,000 student loan debt, which is not far-fetched whatsoever, that debt stays with you for life. If you go to a trade school, you apprentice, then you decide, you know what, I'm going to borrow $100,000 and start my own company, and then it doesn't work out, you could obviously not recommended, but you could always file for bankruptcy and get away, you know, get away from that mm -hmm, business debt. Mm -hmm. You will never get away from that student loan debt. No. And, you know, obviously I never went to college, but it's just, it just seems like so much money to, to, to get out there. And I just see so many college kids that are just like, you know, what are you going to do after college? I, I don't know. It's like, how do you not know when you just put $100,000 of your own money or your mom or dad's money or scholarship money into a degree that, <clears throat> that you don't even know what you're going to do? You know, so I always looked at it like you're 18 years old, you're going to graduate. Do you spend the next four years going to school and partying and having fun and then you literally have nothing or maybe a job and you get out or you know, you become an apprentice and you go to the trades, spend the same amount of time, four years, but you're also earning at the same time and you get your license after those four years. The, the, national, the national average right now for an electrician is 55 years old. For a plumber, it's 58 years old. The national average, now this is national, not just Massachusetts because Massachusetts is a lot higher. The national average right now for an electrician is, I think, $52,000 a year. A plumber is, I think, $55,000 a year. And national average for a, a four-year college degree student to come out and get a job is $55,000 a year. But they have a roughly twenty-eight dollars to $32,000 in student loan debt. A national average. You know, so again, the trades are not for everyone. But neither is college. But it just seems like the trades is never even, uh, they're never even on the ballot form, right? It's never an option. It's almost like 
we have an exposure issue, you know, where, where parents are not exposed to the trades, so they never even bring it up with their kids. But the best apprentices that have ever worked for me are the kids that climb trees, the kids that have tinkered with their dirt bikes growing up or fixed their bikes or played with Legos or just didn't fit the mold. Like maybe they got in trouble in school or they weren't good on grades, but man, do they make some good electricians, you know, and good plumbers. I've heard it from all the trades, you know. And it's funny you say like they're not exposed to the trades, but in reality, like the trades are everything around you. Everything that actually happens in the real world, the physical world, the car you drive, the shelter you live in is all the trades and people are yet are so disconnected from it. I think because, again, I think it's an image problem. I think they believe that they're above it. And I, I could be wrong. It's just my opinion. But most of us are hired. You know, we're hired help, right? We're hired to fix your light. We're hired to fix your faucet. We're hired to change your oil on your car. You know, so I don't want to say everyone's looked down upon, but it just seems that way that we are almost forgotten about until they're like, oh, my God, my toilet's overflowing. I need someone. Who do I call right now? Well, then we're the hero, aren't we? <laughs> you know, um, it's just funny that way. And you know, you said about the uh, national average for electrician being fifty-five years old. I think that there's like around ten thousand or so baby boomers retiring every day in the U.S. We are about to have it's something that I think a lot about on a daily basis. I'm very interested in purchasing and acquiring businesses. We are about to have the largest turnover in business assets in history. And there's so many electricians, plumbers, auto mechanics that have built a business, built it up to wherever it's at. Their children didn't get involved because they sent their children to college, and now they've got nothing to do but walk away from it. And there's so much opportunity there for you to come in, buy a business just like you did multiple times, and continue to carry that. And it's everything's already there for you. The framework mm -hmm. is there, mm -hmm. the structure, the customer list, the equipment, and you can just start rolling. Absolutely. I just I just heard something the other day. I don't know how true it is, but they said the best investment right now is senior living facilities because of the baby boomers, because they're all going to need to go into senior living facilities. It's incredible. Um, <clears throat> the average age for an electrician. So this was done about five years ago. I think there was a study in Massachusetts, about 30, 32,000 licensed electricians in the state of Massachusetts. The average age at that point was about 52. And 25,000 of those electricians were over the age of 55. So at that time, five years ago, we had, what is that, five, six, seven thousand electricians that weren't over the age of 55. It's like, what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years? When they all retire, and now we're at that five-year range, so what's going to happen in the next five years when everyone's retiring and these kids aren't coming into the trades? We're going to be in a world of hurt. I heard, uh, I think it was two years ago, one of our local wire inspectors said, Josh, pretty soon when people call you, it's going to be like getting your physical at the doctor. Oh, you need your outlet replaced? Okay, we'll see you in nine months. Like, There's just not going to be enough of you to go around. You know, and it's just, you, you know, you can, you can do a mark, you can build a market basket or, or, you know, one of these grocery stores, but you can't do it with two people. <laughs> like, you know, it, it takes massive amounts of people to make these big buildings. So it's an incredible time to get into the trades, 100%. And economically, you know, from a supply and demand standpoint, what does that mean for the dollar value per hour of your time? And what is going to happen in the next five years for that dollar amount? How much is that going to go up? Oh, absolutely. The cost of electricians, I mean, the labor force dollar amounts going up, what we have to charge out is going up across the board with everything. But it's true. It's going to cost a lot more money to get a plumber to your house, you know, a welder to fix the, the boat or stairs or, you know, same thing with the auto mechanics and, and everything else in between. It's going to just because of supply and demand. Now, I, obviously, we've been riffing back and forth that we could keep going, but let's talk a little bit about what, what you've done and kind of your mission as far as getting people more involved in the trades and what that's looked like. Yeah, so I again, I do a lot of career day speaking. I was just at the Sizer School today. They had a, a big college and career fair. I, I was laughing because... <laughs> Um, when I went there, it was in their cafeteria, and they have all the tables set up along the, the outside wall. And then they had one table set up in the middle. And all on the outside wall, 
I, I'm, I'm not even joking, was um, I think there was there was a roofer, there was me, and I think um, there was a, like a hairstylist school, right? The rest of them were all colleges, every one of them. Anna Maria, uh, Mount Wachusett, Fitchburg State, every one of them along the outside wall. Who was in the middle? Me. <laughs> I felt like it was a trap. I'm like, why is the electrician in the middle of this fishbowl here? Um, but it was good. We had a, a lot of a lot of uh, seniors come up and talk to me and just you know inquire about becoming an electrician and getting involved with the trades. And you know, my my uncle was a carpenter. My my brother's a plumber. So it was it was really neat. Um, next week I'm going to be at Conan High School in Jaffer, New Hampshire, talking to those kids and getting those kids involved. We have the the children's book coming out. Um, I, I think I, I, ha, I, it's just a huge mission and passion of mine to get the kids involved with the trades, because like I said, in my original story, I believe the trades saved my life. I, I, I would have been lost. I, I wouldn't know where to go. I mean, if I didn't go into the trades, if I didn't go to that school, I really, I don't know what would have happened with my life. I mean, I was so lost and confused. My mom was my best friend, you know, and I was so I still am. I mean, I'm 37 years old and I, I'm I'm still lost. You know, it's not still lost, but you know what I mean. Um, that was a tough time in my life. That was a, a really, really tough time. And I had to grow up really, really quick. But I, th I think the trades and just being able to work with my hands and, and being proud of the things I built, um, I felt like I was making a difference. And now... As far as kids going into the trades, and you know, you and I talked a little bit about this. I probably the or not not so much going into, but just in anybody that's in the trades, one of the biggest problems that plagues tradespeople is a lack of education. I would say on on money management, finance, business. Mm, mm. So, what do you think can be done to try to uh, drive that side of the education and? not have people that are just still working so hard but just paycheck to paycheck how can they, how can these guys get ahead yeah i think you know we did have that conversation and i've had that conversation quite a bit lately and i i think cash management you know economics is is something that's not taught in school i mean again i'm 37 when's the last time or if you even know do you know how to balance a checkbook I do. <laughs> he does. <laughs> because of my business. Yeah. I never, I will uh, tell you this, I never even wrote a check before I started working with my father. Uh, I think my girlfriend back in, uh, my girlfriend's mom when I was a senior in high school, I think she taught me how to balance a checkbook. And, but I don't think I've written a check out of a checkbook in, I don't even know, 15 years or something. But it's just, you know, you're not taught that in school. Like, and if someone, if a mentor or, or a parent figure is not teaching you that, you're never going to know those things. And, and you know, cash management, yes, we all, we all work for an hourly rate um, or we get paid salary. Either way, we get a weekly or biweekly paycheck and then we just spend it all. Like we just find things to buy and we have bills to pay and mortgages and rent and health insurance. We just spend it all and then we get sad and then Friday comes along and we get happy again and then we spend it all. And it's just this constant cycle. And, you know, I don't know if it should be in the high school or a separate class, but I think we all need to learn about cash management and just saving, you know, even if you were to save 10 cents of every dollar that came into your, into your bank account or 20 cents out of every dollar and just put it to the side and invest or put it into a savings account, um, you know, invest would be a lot better. So that way you get the compounding interest. But you've got a lot of these uh, people that win Powerball, multi-million, uh, the multi-millionaire um, uh, jackpots, uh, NFL, NBA players, all these people that have millions and millions of dollars. And you're like, how do they lose it all? You know, how, how do you have five, 15, 20 million dollars? You have the, the world in your hand. How do you lose all that money? And it's because they spent it all. Because they don't have any cash management. Nobody has ever taken them underneath their wing and say, you know what? For every dollar that comes in, I want you to take 20 cents of it, just put it to the side, and you'll never miss it. But eventually, it's just going to compound. It's going to make you more money. You know, uh, Robert Kiyosaki says that, um, you know, he, he 
he said that when your money is making money, when you sleep, that's how you know you can become rich. You know, if we're always working for money, you're never going to become rich, you know, and if rich is, if you becoming rich is a goal of yours, then you can never work enough hours in the day to, to do it. You're just, you're just not. So I think cash management is huge for anyone, but I see because I'm involved in it, I see a lot in the trades where everyone wants to just chase the next dollar. They want a dollar raise. Are they going to jump to this company for a dollar, for a dollar here, for a dollar there? An extra dollar an hour is only $40 a week. Minus taxes, you're probably getting $27, $28. It's nothing. It's not a lot. But if you were to take and have ca good cash management and take 20 cents, 25 cents out of every dollar that you make and put it to a 401k or a Roth IRA or something that's going to make you money, that's how you're going to become rich. And that's how you can truly live a life of passion and purpose and stop chasing the dollar. Because if you continue to chase the dollar for the rest of your life, you will never be happy, ever. When, when you and I first talked, you mentioned a book and it just had me lit up because you're the first person that's ever, you know, besides me that knew about this, you know, and I stumbled upon it and it was really changed everything for me as far as business goes, um, you know, Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. And it really is such a basic, simple way to look at money coming in. And, you know, I always tell people, if you're an employee of a company and you get a hundred bucks, you have a hundred bucks. If you are an owner of a company and you get a hundred bucks, you've got like 10 or 20 bucks. The rest of that money goes to taxes, mm -hmm. expenses, your mm -hmm. overhead. Mm -hmm. And I think especially uh, when guys are starting off in the trades, they kind of break out on their own. I'm going to start doing jobs. You know, if you're working for a guy, right, and you're seeing what they're billing for a job, you start to think, man, I could just be, I could do this job by myself and I could be making all that. And then you start, to, you know, I'm going to go out on my own or I'm going to do some side work. And then mm. all of a sudden you start paying for insurance. You start paying for a van. You start paying your taxes, which you find out. We can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, what happens yeah, when you're not ready yeah. to, when you, when you get that surprise at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, and that really changed the way I looked at business. And since I started implementing that system, I never have to think about, is there money in the account? Am I going to get paid this month? And it just is such a peace of mind that allowed me to really focus on the areas of the business that matter, growing the business, yep. satisfying the customers, and really just kind of things starting to get some traction and take off. Absolutely. Have, have you read his book, Pumpkin Plan? I have, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one too. I, lo I love the analogy of the big pumpkin. I, I think that's so cool. So for anyone that hasn't read the book, Profit First by Mike Michalowicz, if you look at your, um, your bank statement, uh, in business, your, your profit and loss, the bottom, the bottom line, which everyone always talks about, if you hear about in business, you know, what's your bottom line? And, and the bottom line is the profit, it's your net profit at, after everything else is paid off, um, the materials, the labors, you know, cogs, all that stuff, the bottom line is your profit. <clears throat> That's what you're left with. Well, Mike Michalowicz, coin the term profit first, where that bottom line actually becomes your top line, where you pay yourself first. And there's also, I don't know the exact um, wording of it, but there's a, a law called Parkinson's law. Have you ever heard that? I have, yeah. Man, you, you're just as smart as me, because I don't know a lot of people that know about Parkinson's law. But essentially, it, it says if you give somebody eight hours, they will get the whole job done in eight hours. So if you gave somebody $100 to spend, they're going to spend all of $100. So the same thing goes with profit first. If you pay yourself first and you set up separate accounts. So for me in my business, we take uh, 20 cents of every single dollar that comes into my company and we put it into a separate account called the tax hold account. That money is not touched whatsoever. And what happens then is we need to run the, the company with 80 cents on every dollar. And that's it. That's all there is. And if we can't do it, then I need to find better ways to save money. So, you know, buy cheaper material or not pay as much or maybe uh, pay invoices sooner so I get discounts or maybe we don't buy enough. Uh, we buy less toilet paper or something. Right. So you're just saving money because now you only have 80 cents on every dollar instead of the full dollar. But that 20 cents goes into that separate tax hold account. And at the end of the year, when you get your big tax bill, you don't have to worry about paying taxes because all that money is sitting there and it's not touched 
and you don't have to worry about it. Now, Mike Michalowicz also says that you can do that for your profit, your vacation fund, your um, Christmas presents fund, whatever works for you. You could separate that for your personal finances uh, along with your business finances. And it's completely changed my life when I read that book. So I'll tell you a story real quick. Um, a few, two years ago now, uh, in November, my dad had his first spinal surgery. And I had always worked like a side job in a restaurant. And I left that job to focus on the business full time. But at this point, you know, I was still really green. This is like I still figuring out doing the books and, and everything. I, I mean, I'm still learning, obviously. Every day is learning experience. But I really didn't know what I was doing. And went through the month. Surgery, I think, was November 7th, maybe, early in the month. And I went through that month. Wasn't really making any money in the business. Everyone knew my dad wasn't there, so they kind of backed off. Then we get into December, and I'm really chewing through the, whatever money I had left, and comes time to buy presents for Christmas, and I had no money. And I will never forget this as long as I live, but I just cried on Christmas morning because I was so upset that I couldn't, I had no money. I had no money to, buy, to do anything. And I said, I will never, ever, ever let this happen again. And that is when I made that shift to start putting that money aside and say, I'm going to have this aside so I don't have to think about it. So all year, you just slowly, you know, and you don't miss it when it's just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But then when you go to cash it out, it's like, wow, look how much that's grown. And this is all for, for you, Absolutely. you know, to take and do with whatever you need to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you have to label that account tax hold, you know, like, then you're definitely not going to touch it. But um, yeah, I mean, even five, five cents, you know, whatever, whatever works, um, you think it's going to make a big deal uh, that you're going to miss it, but you're not. So you, again, you set it aside personally, if you were to set it into a separate bank account that you would literally have to physically go into the bank to take that money out, that's even way better. Like don't attach it to a debit card or a checking account or anything. Just put the money into the account and if you need it, you would have to physically get out of your car to go into the bank to sign it. Even further, have two signatures on there. Like give it, you know, have your wife, ha she has to sign it and you have to sign it or a buddy or your aunt or something to, to make it that much harder to not go get that money. I always talk about with my personal finances, like hiding money from myself. <laughs> as soon as it comes in, it goes right back into a place where it's protected. Yeah. And then that, that number grows and grows. And like for me, it's real estate, you know, so I wait and I wait. And once I see that number getting pretty big, it's like. Oh, yeah, I could really, I'd love to buy myself a Porsche. That'd be nice, <laughs> you know, but then I try to spend it on some real estate and put yeah. it, protect yeah. it. Like you said, buy something that's going to pay you to own it and have that money generating yeah. while you're sleeping. Yeah. So uh, Robert Kiyosaki, I, I love that guy too, but he says assets put money in your pocket, liabilities take money out. And it just makes so much sense. And what he also says is to use the assets um, at the profits from the assets to pay for liabilities, right? So, you know, your house is a, is a, is a huge liability because it's not making you any money, but real estate investing like you're doing is making you money, you know, but I, I think I, I, I agree with Robert where our house is a liability. It's not making us any money until you sell it, you know, but you're living in it. It's a liability. And people, I think, look at investing and look at risk and especially, you know, when you're young and coming up and, and I had a little bit of this, uh, you know, I was indoctrinated in this, you know, risky, like the stock market's risky, real estate's risky. Well, what's risky is never putting your money into something like that. You know, if you're in a position, depending on what you do, whether you have, you know, some, if you just got to put it away into a mutual fund, or if you, like yourself, you're an electrician, you may know a little bit about real estate, you may have access to some deals that come along mm -hmm. just because mm -hmm. of being in the business so much. Yeah you bet on yourself and you put your money where, where you can control it and put yourself or reinvest in your business where you can grow and create a better life for yourself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, coming into this building, walking across the parking lot was risky. Someone could have hit me and I could have died right then. You know, I think, I think anything in life worth doing uh, is risky and you have to take massive action. You know, you have to sacrifice and take massive action on everything that you're doing. Otherwise, you're never going to do anything. Absolutely. And now, you know, I want to be respectful of your time here. What is next on the horizon for you? What do you have coming up and some things that you're kind of focused on? 
I think um, I, I think putting just putting myself out there, giving everything I can and, and serving others on a higher level. I would love to get out there and get on stages more and motivate and inspire other entrepreneurs that, you know, seem to be struggling or they don't know how to make that next step. Um, I've been there. I, I have the experience. I think obviously continuing to get the kids involved with the trades and educating parents and educating the public about the trades, not just electricians, you know, carpenters, plumbers, welders across the board. I can't wait for this book to come out because I will tell you, it, it will be almost 12 months to write, design, um, approve illustrations, just everything. I never realized how hard uh, getting a children's book would be would be to get out into the public. There's just so many steps, um, but I just hope it comes out you know right uh, the first time. And now you, we talked a little bit before we got started. You know about a, kind of a fallacy in, in life in general about hard work. And you know people say like if you just work hard, good things will come to you. Yeah, you know I was you know. <sighs> I think we all work hard, right? And and what I was talking to you about is, you know, the custodians at the at the schools, I don't think they get enough credit. I don't think custodians and janitors and themselves and housekeeping staff get enough credit. They work their butts off. And I don't think they're they get enough appreciation, you know. And most of the time they're working, you know, in in the not in the dark, but the you know in the in the back, right? The in the back end where you're not seeing them, or, or they're um, you know coming into the schools at night and they're they're blaring the music, but they're mopping the the floors, they're cleaning the bathrooms, they're pulling out Gatorade bottles out of the bleacher seats, all so that way when the kids and teachers come in the next day, that you know the the whole school is clean, right? So they work hard. Uh, you work hard at what you're doing. I work hard. I think we all work hard in every single profession and every occupation. But I don't think that itself breeds success. I think, in my opinion, uh, success comes from, uh, you know, perseverance. I think it comes from grit. I think a lot comes from sacrifice, though. And I think that's what stops a lot of people uh, just short of success is they work hard. They put in the hours. You know, they could be working 80 hours, eighty to 100 hours a week. That doesn't mean you're going to be successful. You're going to have to sacrifice things. And I think in business, especially an entrepreneur, you have to sacrifice, uh, you know, a guaranteed paycheck. You have to sacrifice, you know, losing money, paying taxes. You have to sacrifice losing friends or family. I've had a lot of friends work for me, and I've lost a lot of friends. Um, you have to sacrifice, you know, particularly friends that aren't on the same level as you. I'm not better than them, but I know my purpose in life and I know where I was going. And a lot of them were just happy being where they're at. And it's like, well, then you need to move out of my way because I'm going here. So I think sacrifice has a lot to do with success and it's not just hard work. Yeah, I know. I think that that is like a perfect place to leave it. So, you know, I really appreciate you coming down Absolutely. here. Um, you know, real quick, uh, where can people find you? I just want to throw out too, like you've got a, a TEDx talk. That'd be great. People can search that. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Search Joshua Page, TED, TED Talk. Yep. That should come up. Where else can people access you? Um, for so I have a Facebook page, Joshua Page. Uh, Instagram is is the uh, is JP Iron Lab. Um, I have a coaching platform uh, called Iron Lab, which real quick story on that. I was uh, the Iron Lab is my personal home gym where I where I do all my working out and I do all my thinking and all my business down there. And I was trying to think of a name uh, on what I could call my coaching and public speaking and, and authoring business. And I, and I couldn't figure it out. So I have whiteboards that I literally write things on every single day and I put my goals up there. So I, I wrote. Iron Lab, right? Because that was my gym down there. And I said, um, I said, what can I name this coaching business? I started looking at the word lab and, and I really looked at it. And all of a sudden I started writing out my family, Lindsay, Ashton, Brody. And I'm like, there it is. 
Lab is is all my family, my wife and my two kids. Lindsay Ashton Brody spells out lab. It's the Iron Lab. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I do a lot of public speaking. I, I coach uh, other entrepreneurs, uh, male and female, uh, just getting, you know, getting their head out of their ass, um, you know, finding purpose and passion in life and just and just living to their best life that they can. Um, YouTube, I have a channel on YouTube. The TEDx talk was a TEDx salon um, speak in Santa Barbara called College is Not the Only Option. And uh, I think that's about it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again for coming down here, man. This was great. I really enjoyed it. And I think a lot of people are going to as well. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in with us. We do this to share the stories of some of the incredible individuals in your community. All we ask in return is if you found value from this episode, please share it with someone else who may also gain value from the show. Please feel free to rate or review the show. Your feedback helps us give you more of what you want. Until next time, I'm Tim Lanza, and this was another Local Legacy.